0: My name is Michael Tuck and I'm the Associate Pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. This morning we're going to turn our attention back to the Gospel of John. So if you would open your Bibles there to John chapter 20. I, uh, we, we lack probably three, three sermons, three talks, three messages from the, from the Gospel of John today, and, and maybe two more, maybe just one more. I've thought about just ending John and not even finishing and doing something else. I'd really like to address some other issues, but I'm, I'm one of those that wants to finish what we've started, and so we're going to finish the Gospel of John, and we're at chapter 20, so have your Bible open there this morning. A lady was flying for the first time, and she was she was really nervous about it. So she pulls out her Bible, and she thinks, well, I'm going to read my Bible some, and that'll calm my nerves. So she pulls out her Bible, and the man sitting next to her, when she does this, he begins to chuckle, but he doesn't say anything, and he goes back to doing whatever he's doing. But After a a moment or two, he can't stand it, evidently. He says, ma'am, you really don't believe what you're reading in that book, do you? And she said, yeah, absolutely. I read, I I believe every bit of it. It's the Bible. He said, you don't believe the part about the guy being swallowed by the big fish, do you? And she said, oh, Jonah, yeah, I believe that. That's that's in the Bible. And then... uh, He says, well, let me ask you a question. How did he survive in the belly of that whale for three days? And she thought about it for a moment. She said, "Uh, I, I don't know. But when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. Sarcastically, the man said, well, what if he's not in heaven? And she said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> faith is a strange thing. Remember, faith is the, this conviction that something we hope in is is absolutely true. And it's this assurance of something we believe in, even when we can't validate it by sight. And I know you know you all know this, but all of us exercise faith, and we exercise faith all the time. We have things that we hope in, things that we, uh, we believe in, that we cannot see, that we cannot validate by sight, and yet they affect our life. We have faith that one day we're going to get to retire. We have faith that our children are going to be there when we're old, and uh, they're going to take care of us. We have faith that when we get in the elevator on the 80th floor, it's not going to go crashing full speed down to the first floor. Mark Twain once uh, quipped, faith is believing something that isn't true. Now, it is true that some people uh, put their faith in something that isn't true, and it is also true that people put their faith in things that there's not much evidence for or even that the evidence that there is is contradictory to that. I personally think that's foolish, but it is not faith when you know something isn't true. True. Faith, however, doesn't necessarily have to mean that there's no evidence for it. It's believing something that that there's nothing to substantiate it. That's not what necessarily faith is. Faith is a belief, a hope, a conviction, which I believe is based on evidence that is clearly pointing in a certain direction. But by definition, that, that evidence isn't complete or exhaustive. The evidence might, and I've said this, I said this actually maybe last week or the week before, the evidence gets you to the door, but still you have to walk through the threshold of that door by faith. You have to believe something that ultimately you cannot see by sight. Faith is how we operate with the biggest questions of life. How did the world get here? I mean... Is there a God? Can God be known? Does my life continue in some way different after I die? Or even what happens after I die? The answers to those questions that we believe, that we put our hope in, that we have conviction of, th- those are faith things because they cannot be validated by, by faith. So here's a question that, uh, that, I don't know, I think about, I, I, I hear it a lot I'd like you to think about it for just a moment. Why do some people put their faith, their hopes, their assurances in this one thing while other people put their their hopes and their assurances in something else that actually may be the very opposite of what you and I may put our faith in? Why does someone, for instance, put their faith in our existence as coming from a cosmic big bang followed by an, an evolu- uh, a materialistic evolution when someone else puts their faith in our existence as coming from an eternal god who specifically and specially creates why does one person put their faith in one thing which is diametrically opposed to what the other person puts their faith in why does someone put their faith in in Yahweh uh, in Allah the god of of Islam for instance why does someone put their faith in Allah as god while someone else puts their faith in the uh, the non the the spiritual God force of Buddhism, or someone else puts their faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel. Why do people put their faith in these different gods that can't all be true? That's just to name a few. Well, the answer to that question is there is no precise answer uh, to it. God has made us rational, reasoning, emotive creatures, and we're all different. And he's given each of us an autonomous will, we, we have a will that's different from one another. And actually, I believe we have an autonomous will from God, that God gave us a will that is uh, somewhat free from, from his will. He gives us the ability to make decisions uh, and willful decisions that are contrary to things that he would want for us. And so our circ- situations, our circumstances, our experiences, they all come to play on our life, and uh, when they do that influences what we put our faith in. So someone may ask, for instance, why did you put your faith in the God that's revealed in the Bible when someone else didn't? Why did you put your faith in in Yahweh, for instance, when someone else did not put their faith in that God? And the answer to that question is unknowable. See, I mean, the question begs, I mean, it's a question-begging question because it assumes somehow that we can know how people with free wills, with autonomous wills from one another, why they make decisions they made. For instance, why did you marry who you married? Why did you decide to live where you lived? Why don't we all make the same decisions? Because we're, we're autonomous creatures. And, and so it's an unknowable question asked, why did someone put their faith in uh, in this God, the God of the Bible, and somebody did not? People are different. They have different experiences, different influences. They make different choices. And one of the things that's just uh, that I really appreciate that the Bible says about God is that he's given us ample evidence for all of us with with our autonomous beings, our reasoning, and our uh, our emotions and our will. He's given us ample evidence to put our faith in him as creator. For instance, he says creation itself testifies to his existence, and not just to his existence, but to his, to his power and to his being. And yet the same, in the same passage, the author, of, who is Paul, he says this, he says, but people, and maybe even most people, they suppress that evidence. So God has given us ample evidence for his existence, but most people maybe, or at least many people, they suppress that evidence that God has given us. Now in our study in the Gospel of John, Jesus Jesus has come, he's lived he's ministered for three years. Now at the end of his life, he's he's died. He's been crucified. He's been killed. He's been buried. But as we've seen, he's risen back to life, just like he said he would. And more importantly, just like he must do, as we talked about last Sunday. He must rise from the dead, and he has risen from the dead. But in the story that John is telling or laying out for us, there are two people that don't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. One of them just simply doesn't believe. The other one says, I will not believe. They are, they are choosing willfully not to believe the evidence that is before them. So let's take a moment to look at those two people. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to draw some applications out of this whole issue of faith and Jesus for, for each of us. So uh, let's begin John chapter 20, verse 11. It says, But Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white standing where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this... Uh, She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? And supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And turning around, she said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what he had said to her. So if we go back last week, you remember that Mary has gone to the tomb early in the morning while it's still dark. She's gotten there right at daybreak, evidently. She finds the tomb empty. She runs back to get Peter and John, and they've come with her. They've gone to the tomb. They've seen it empty. And now, evidently, they've all left, and only Mary uh, Mary remains. And so Mary has looked into the tomb. She's crying. She's, I guess, lost in her thoughts. But, but here's something to remember. She does not believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. I mean, she had been told it. And she's seen the evidence, but she doesn't believe. And uh, she looks into the tomb, and she sees two angels. It doesn't say that she recognizes them as angels, but she sees two two figures in there. They ask her, "Why are you crying?" And she says, "Well, because because they've taken my Lord. I don't know where he is." About that time, behind her, she hears Jesus, and Jesus says to her, "Woman, why are you crying? Who are you seeking?" She turns around, and she sees this man. She thinks she doesn't recognize him. She thinks it's the gardener. And she says, hey, if you know where he is, they've taken him. If you've moved him, tell me where he is, and I'll take care of him. And then Jesus evidently lets her recognize him, and, uh, and he says, Mary. And when she does, she, of course, uh, falls at his feet, worshiping him, calling him teacher. And that's when he says to her, Mary, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me, but go and tell my disciples that I am alive, that I'm going back to the Father, and tell them that you've seen me tell, me. tell them that I'm alive. And the story tells us that Mary left and ran. I'm sure she ran as fast as she could. She runs back, and she tells uh, Peter and John and all of them that, they, that she has seen Jesus. Now, during that same afternoon, Jesus will appear to a couple of men on, uh, on the road to Emmaus, But it's evening time now, and all the disciples are together. Well, almost all of them are together. There's one that is missing, and Jesus appears before them again. So in uh, John chapter 20, verse 19, we pick up the story again. When it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, "'Peace be with you.'" And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also am sending you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Here's the important part in our story today. But Thomas, called Didymus, or called twin, so Thomas was a twin, Uh, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord, But, uh, but he said to them, if I don't see the marks of the nails in his hands, and then he goes even further and he says, but Put my fingers in the marks of the nails and put my hand in his side. Notice what he says. I will never believe. Now, this is their first meeting with Jesus altogether. Again, Thomas isn't there. But when, they get, when Thomas gets back, they all tell them about this reunion with Jesus. And it, it's always astounded me that Thomas would be so adamant that he will not believe. Now, Mary didn't believe. Thomas says, in spite of all the evidence, I choose not to believe. I will not believe unless I have this particular evidence getting to stick my own fingers in the holes of his Wounds. I used to wonder why Thomas refused to believe, but, I, but I, think I, I, I think I know why, and I've told you this before. But I, I think the reason why Thomas refused to believe is because Thomas was hurt, because Thomas felt left out. You remember that Jesus has appeared to Mary. She's appeared to those ladies. He appeared to the two guys in the road to Emmaus. He's appeared to Peter somewhere in there. Now he's appeared to all of them together. But somehow in all of this, Thomas, he hasn't appeared to Thomas. And let's go back just maybe uh, less than a week Listen, a week earlier, Thomas has, has said, "I let's go to Jerusalem and die with Jesus. When they were going back to Jerusalem, Jerusalem to raise up Lazarus, you remember Thomas said, well, they're going to kill us, but let's go die with Jesus. So Thomas, I mean, he really loved Jesus. And I have a feeling that he felt hurt that Jesus has appeared to everyone, but he's left him out. He hasn't appeared to him. And so Thomas is refusing to believe. Unfortunately, that's what hurt does to us sometimes. It causes us to make decisions, to to decide things that are are, are not good. That's what happens to Thomas. But let's pick up the story, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "'Peace be with you.' And then he said to Thomas, "'Put your finger here and look at my hands.'" reach out your hand, put it in my side, don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, This time when Jesus appears, it's one week later. So a whole week has gone by and Thomas is, is there And Jesus walks in the door, or through the door, which is locked. And he walks into the room. And the first thing he says to Thomas is, he says, Thomas, put your fingers in the holes. And then he says, don't be faithless, but believe. Don't lack confidence in me. Don't go without an assurance of who I am and that I'm alive, Thomas. Come on, be assured. Now... It occurred to me as I read this this week, and I, I guess I've thought about this before, but it wasn't, it wasn't there in my consciousness. You know, this means that the wounds of Jesus are still visible. I'm assuming even today they were visible for Thomas. They were visible the week earlier when, when he appeared before his disciples. He showed them his wounds. So his wounds are still visible. Now, this is one thing I know for sure, that in the resurrection, God is going to restore and heal and repair our bodies. And so you would think there would be no signs of the wounds. But for whatever reason, God, Jesus, is going to keep those wound scars for for all eternity. And I guess we know the reason. And it's why, and it's funny, this all happened in a moment as I'm sitting there reading and thinking. It's why Matthew Bridges wrote this into his famous song, crown him with many crowns. We sing that hymn at at resurrection time normally, crown him with many crowns. But the the third verse says this, crown him the Lord of love, behold his hands inside, rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. So, so yeah, I agree. Those wounds are still visible and we'll get to see them one day, even as Thomas and the other disciples did. Now, there's no indication from the text that Thomas actually put his fingers in the wounds. I, I don't think I would have either. I, uh, I would have felt foolish. I would have felt ashamed for having not believed. Now imagine Thomas felt some of that. But he cries out and he says, my Lord and my God. He believes, he puts his faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, here, here's the truth, folks. What Jesus says now to Thomas or, yeah, to Thomas, really applies to Mary. It applies to probably most of the disciples, if not all of them, including John. But, but Jesus says in the presence of them all, and he says it to Thomas, but he says, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. But he says, blessed, blessed, that means, that means happy, filled with joy. Uh, a lot of good is gonna come on those who have uh, not seen me but yet have believed. Uh, They had powerful evidence that Jesus was Lord, that uh, he was risen from them. They got to see him alive. But blessed are all of us. Blessed are all those people who will believe, but yet not see, who will put their faith in Jesus and yet will not firsthand get to see the Lord, which is, by the way, uh, probably most of all of us if not all of us who will definitely all of us maybe who are listening to this, but maybe all of us who have come after the Lord. Yeah, it's not really true though. The Apostle Paul in some ways, you know, he would follow he would follow after Jesus, but he would get to see the Lord in a way that transformed his life. So God sometimes does let us see Jesus, but for most of us we're going to believe and yet not be able to see. And Jesus said we are, we are blessed. And then the last, the last two verses of chapter 20, 30 and 31, read like this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the, the Messiah the king, the king of the kingdom of God, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that has been the theme of our study. These two verses, they've been the theme of our study for for its entirety. John wrote his good news so that by listening to the testimonies, we might believe, and in his name we might have life. So here's a question for us, and it's kind of the, the basis for the rest of my talk this morning. Why do so many believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to God apart from him? Why do so many believe, and yet they don't get to see firsthand? Why do so many people throughout the centuries, and throughout the ages, and throughout the continents, and throughout the, every corner of the earth, why do so many follow Jesus, and uh, yet they have not seen? They... Uh, they have not been firsthand witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Why, why have you believed? That's the question. Why, why do you believe this morning if you believe? And if you don't believe, you know, why should you believe? That's what I'd like to answer for the next few minutes. And I'd like to give you three reasons why people throughout the ages have believed and three reasons why you and I believe and three reasons why you should believe if you happen to be listening to me this morning and you don't. So let's dive in. Here are my three reasons. First, because of the testimony of uh, the eyewitness disciples. Notice that that John says, these things were performed in the presence uh, of the disciples, verse 30. It is the testimony of these men, these guys who followed Jesus, these apprentices of Jesus, that should lead us to believe. That's why you should believe, because of their testimony, their eyewitness testimony, John himself, the author of this of this good news, this gospel, he would later write in another letter, he would say, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life, you know? And, and you just think about that, what, what John is saying, what we got to see and touch and feel, talking about Jesus himself, I mean, I, I guess he's talking about hugging Jesus, you know, Pats on the backs, high fives, whatever. They lived their life with Jesus. That's what he says, what we heard, saw, felt, touched, all of that. He says, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. What we're reading is eyewitness accounts of men who had nothing earthly to gain and everything to lose as they testified to the life of Jesus and then to the resurrection of Jesus. Now listen to what I'm going to say now. We don't believe because the Bible says so. The Bible wasn't compiled and put together until 350 A.D., uh, which is 300 years after Christ, okay? We believe because... The Gospel of John is an eyewitness account of a man who lived and walked and saw Jesus. Now, his book, along with many other eyewitness accounts, have been compiled into what we call the Bible, and we believe comes from God. But we don't believe just because it's in the Bible. We believe because it's eyewitness accounts, people who were there, who saw it, who touched, and and who believed. John saw it. I told you recently that I read the book, uh, The Tattooist of Auschwitz. And one of the things that riveted my attention to that book was that I was reading a man's personal eyewitness account to what happened there at Auschwitz. I mean, th- that's, what, that's what made me read it. And that's, I mean, re- read it with such uh, fervor because I knew I'm, I'm listening to a man who was there, who saw it, who, who lived it. And that's what you're reading when you read the Gospel of John. I believed the tattooist because I believed him. I believed in Jesus because I believe John. We ought to put our hope in Jesus because of the authenticity of his life that was validated by these men who touched it and saw it and who lived it with him. Now, one of the questions that people often ask is, can we trust their eyewitness uh, accounts? How, how do we know that they aren't Lying. So I remember 19 years old beginning to search for truth myself, maybe even 18 because I came to faith at 19. But so 18 or 19, I begin to search for truth myself. And, and this is one of the questions that I'm asking myself. How can I trust John's testimony? And, and here's, here's what I determine. Here are a bunch of men who are cowering so afraid after the, after the uh, crucifixion of Jesus, so afraid, they're cowering, they think they're going to be next. But then Jesus rises from the dead and all of these men who are cowering go forth from there and they change the world. All of them laying down their lives in martyrdom or exile. All of them, none of them recanting, none of them saying, it's not true. They're all saying, hey, it's true. We've seen him, Christ is alive. And uh, and they go to their grave claiming that Jesus has risen from from the dead. Uh, Many a man will die for a lie that he thinks is true, but most people, I might even dare say all people, they're not going to die for something they they know is a lie that serves no purpose that gives them no gain. If anyone stood in the position of knowing whether Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, it was them. And, and I believe them. Now, maybe this, uh, maybe this morning, if you look at the evidence of their testimony and you still don't believe, well, I, I grant you that. That's, that's your decision. That's your prerogative. But if you refuse to look at the evidence, then it's, it's because you're like Thomas. You are simply refusing to believe it's because you are choosing, though the, ample, though the evidence is ample, you are choosing to willfully not believe. Now, here's the second, here's the second testimony, to, or second reason why you ought to believe. First is the testimony of the eyewitness disciples who were there. But the second reason you ought to believe is because of the testimony of the very things that Jesus did. Now, the crowning thing that Jesus did, the crowning work of Christ, is his resurrection, And and by him conquering death and overcoming death, the one thing, by the way, that all of us fear, the one thing that's driving everything that's happening in the world today is the fear of death and not wanting to die. All right? Uh, Jesus conquered that. And, And for me alone, that's a reason why you ought to put your faith in him because Jesus conquered death. All right? But John says, look back at the text, verse 30, many other signs, he says. We believe not just because of the testimony of those men, but we believe because of what they testified to, to the very works that Jesus did. We believe because of what he did. Jesus says in John chapter 5, if we go all the way back to the earlier part of John's gospel, in verse 36, he says, this is Jesus speaking, but the witness which I have is greater than that of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. In other words, Jesus said, you ought to believe in me because of the things that I do, because of all these works that I am doing. You ought to believe because of them. Jesus said that, and I'm saying that to you this morning. That is a reason why you ought to put your faith in Jesus, though you can't validate it by sight. It's why you ought to believe and put your hope and your convictions in the reality that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is risen from the dead, that Jesus gives us eternal life. You ought to do it because of the very things Jesus did. And I know you can't see them personally, the works that Jesus did. You can't validate them with your eye, but you have the testimony of men who were there. And these are the things, that, these are the kind of things Jesus did. He healed the blind. He made blind people see. Blindness doesn't just go away, everyone. I mean, we, we're, we're able, you know, doctors are able to do things with blindness today because of modern medicine, but blindness doesn't come back. Jesus healed blind people. He cured lepers. Now, he raised the dead He fed thousands of people with just a minute amount of food. He calmed the seas. He walked on water. One of my favorite stories is of the three preachers that are in a boat fishing. And one of them says, oh, dad, come on, I forgot my bait. And he jumps out of the boat, runs across the water, gets his bait, runs back, gets in the boat. One of the preachers is astounded, but before he can even say anything, the other one says, Dad, come on, I forgot my lunch. He jumps out of the boat, runs across the water, gets his lunch, and comes back. Well, the third preacher, he doesn't want to be undone by his two buddies, and he thought, man, if they can do it, I can do it. He said, hey, I forgot my hat. He jumps overboard, sinks like a rock. He's trying to get up on the water, trying to get back in the boat. One of the preachers, the other, says, don't you think we ought to tell him where the rocks are? (laughs) Nobody walks on water but Jesus. Seriously, everyone, nobody walks on water but Jesus. And that's the reason why you ought to believe in him, because of the things that he did. The things that he did, no ordinary man could do. And they give evidence to his nature, and they give credence to his words. And of course, I'm going to say it again, the crowning work of Jesus the crowning work by which you ought to believe is that Jesus conquered death never to die again. And that's why we have hope of of death not being the end of us, death not being, you know, the final place for us. We're going to rise again because Jesus rose again. Now, maybe if you look at the evidence of what Jesus did, you still won't end up believing. And I'll grant you that because you are... You are free to make choices as as you determine. But if you refuse to look at the evidence, then you're like Thomas. It's not because there's not enough evidence to believe. It's because you are refusing simply to believe. The evidence is ample. You are simply willfully choosing not to believe That brings us to the third reason why you and I ought to uh, put our confidence in Jesus. And that would be because of the testimony of changed lives. We've got the testimony of the eyewitness accounts of men who were there. We've got the testimony of the very things that Jesus did. But we also have this testimony of men and women whose lives have been transformed by By Jesus. One thing that's really clear from the scripture is that the lives of these earliest disciples were forever and unimaginably changed. Men who were unimportant, men who had nothing to gain, men who had lost all hope became men who would change the world from cowering behind closed doors to leaving those locked rooms and going out and standing before kings and leaders who would say to them, you must not talk about Jesus anymore. They would say, hey, as for us, we cannot help but talk about Jesus. We cannot be silenced. Their changed lives are evidence that helped me put my faith in Jesus. One of the greatest testimonies of a changed life would have been the Apostle Paul. You remember Paul's testimony, uh, he shares it with a church one time and he says, hey, I was I was the cream of the crop when it came to to Judaism. I was born to the right tribe. I had been educated under the right people. I was a Pharisee. I was in the leadership of Judaism. And, And as to these people who followed Jesus, I was a persecutor. I really wanted to have them put to death. But then he says, and this is what he writes, but whatever things were gained to me, Paul writing, whatever things were gained to me, talking about all those things of the past, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul would meet Jesus, and again, I mean, he had, a, he had a different situation in that Jesus appears to him and talks to him, but, but Paul's life would be changed. I mean, absolutely radically transformed, and he would go on to become one of the, the great, great leaders of the church. But it's not just the, these New Testament followers of Jesus whose lives have been changed. It's not just the men and women of his day that were transformed. Jesus has been transforming men and women throughout every generation, on every continent, from every ethnic group. You know, I, uh, I started to go through every century and point out men that Jesus had changed, that changed the world. You know, men like uh, Augustine. Augustine was a uh, pleasure-seeking Manichaeist, Manichaeist being, Manichaeism being a, you know, uh... Uh, one of those, what kind of religions was it? But it was it was a, it was a different religion. But at the age of thirty-one, in the year three eighty-four BC, he meets Jesus, and, and Augustine goes on to become one of the, the greatest theologians and one of the greatest helps to the to the early church in the in those first four or five hundred years of existence. And even today, his writings and his teachings are considered uh, so important by so many. But I, I thought about that and I said, well, that's not going to be helpful. And it'd probably be just bog us down if I did that. So I'm not going to do that. But, but I do want you to just mention some names that you'll probably recognize. Men whose lives have been touched by Jesus and they changed the world. Men like John Wycliffe and John Huss and William Tyndale and Martin Luther and John Wesley and William Wilberforce and John Newton and Maximilian Colby and C.S. Lewis and Eric Liddell. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, Mother Teresa, Chuck Colson, and scores and scores of other men and women that you don't even know their names, that in in their sphere of influence, they changed. They changed and they changed the world around them because Jesus had changed them. There is power and conviction in the story of a changed life. This is what Jesus said. He said, people will know that you follow me. And by extension, when he prayed for his disciples in John 17, he was saying, people will know that you follow me, that I come from God when you love others. When you love one another, he says, and he's talking about us loving one another, but, but I know Jesus would say that he wants us to love all people, not just each other, but we need to love one another. He said, when, when people see you transformed by me to love people, to not live selfishly, to not live for yourself, but to live for others, when, when people see that, it is gonna be ample, great evidence that Jesus is who he claims to be. Now, I'm going to say it again. Now, listen carefully. Men and women throughout every generation in every, on every continent from every ethnic group have been changed by Jesus, and they're still being changed today. Now, I, I've been changed by Jesus. Many of you listening to me have been changed by Jesus. Now, maybe if you look at the evidence of changed lives and you're still not convinced... Uh, to believe and put your trust in Jesus, then I'll grant you that is your decision to make. But if you refuse to look at the evidence, then I want to remind you, just like Thomas, you are willfully choosing, refusing to believe. Not because the evidence isn't ample, but because you are willfully deciding, I will not believe. Now notice this, everyone. This evidence, these testimonies that I've given, that I've mentioned to you, They are that you might believe. I'm trying to to further what John was trying to do. I'm trying to give you evidence that you might believe. You weren't there. You did not see with your own eyes and you never will get to see with your own eyes. But blessed are you if you don't see and yet believe. God has given us evidence. I, I think he's given us ample evidence by which we might believe that Jesus is the king that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is the son of God. I want to make a statement here, and I hope I won't offend you. I've I've kind of made the statement throughout, uh, throughout this talk. But I believe that God has given us ample evidence to believe, and if you've chosen not to believe, it's simply because you have decided, I won't believe. And maybe some of you have even hardened your heart, and uh, there is just no way you're going to believe. But if you're not one of those people, let me just tell you a little bit about faith. Faith is not a complicated um, it's not a complicated term, and faith is not complicated in and of itself. It goes beyond mere mental assent or mental acknowledgement of something. To, to put your faith in something means to trust in it, to rely upon it, to rest in it, to cast yourself in dependence upon it. Faith turns away from, from the opposite of what you're putting your faith in. Faith turns to that object and solely relies upon the merit of what you're putting your faith in. In this case, we're talking about Jesus. So faith in Jesus is me putting my trust, my reliance upon him. And what am I relying upon him for? I'm relying upon Jesus for a number of things, but namely, I am relying upon Jesus for eternal life. I am relying upon Jesus that he has given me and will give me life forever with himself in a, in a utopia, if you would, in a world that he's going to create without sin and without flaw and without failure, without selfishness, without evil. I am putting my faith in him that following Jesus is going to end with him giving me eternal life but i just want i don't want to make it just about tomorrow following jesus now putting my faith in him he comes to dwell within me and he changes my life now he gives me abundant life now that's what he said i have come that people might have life and they might have it abundant following jesus gives me joy and peace and and gives me this this sense of wellness because i have come to know him. Now, let me ask you have you believed this morning? If you're listening to me, I, I know chances are you probably have, but have, have you believed? Have you abandoned all elf efforts at making yourself somehow acceptable to God and, and trusting in Jesus to make you acceptable to God? Trusting in Jesus to give you the eternal life that I think all of us want? John says to those who believe and receive Christ, he says that believing in him. You might have life in his name. That has been the whole theme of John's gospel, that you might have life. God wants to give you eternal life and abundant life. And to know him is that. And let me ask you, though, if, if maybe here this morning before we end this service together, have you received the gift of life through faith in the Lord Jesus and this offer of good news? Have you received the Lord yourself personally. Well, if you haven't, I'd like to invite you right now where you are watching me to receive the Lord. And you say, well, Jimmy, I don't know how to do that. How do do I, I mean, this is kind of just like mystical. How do I do that? Well, Jesus is a real person, I mean, he's, he's real, he's alive, he's coming back for us. But you can talk to him, he hears you. And so what I'd like to just ask you to do is just bow your heart before God right now and where you are, just, just say to him, Jesus, I, I believe in you, I put my faith in you and I wanna follow you. And uh, just tell him what's on your heart and, and then communicate with, with me or somebody else in the church family that you might know. or some, Just communicate with someone, hey, listen, I am beginning to follow Jesus. I am putting my faith in him. I'd really like to encourage you to do that this morning. Well, thank you for being with us today uh, for our worship time. I trust that the Spirit has encouraged you and blessed you and, and you felt his presence there in your home with you. And we'll just continue to do this until we're able to actually physically get together. In the meantime, follow Jesus, love your neighbor, look out for one another, be be always on the lookout for how you can can just be Jesus with skin on for people. I mean, loving people in Jesus' name. Remember, Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my followers, and by this all men are going to know that God sent me. It's going to be by your love and your unity. So let's, uh, let's do that this week. Let me close this in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for uh, our time together. Thank you for John's uh, eyewitness testimony to what he saw and held and, 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 uh, and heard. Lord, just thank you for his testimony. Father, we thank you for the evidence that you've given us to believe in Jesus, and we do believe. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. Thank you, Spirit, for dwelling within our lives and for leading us and helping us now. We trust in you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at Bacon'sCastle.com. Also, check out our website at Bacon'sCastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.